0: How many of you have ever actually used a rototiller before? Okay, so we have one experienced person in our, in our church here. A rototiller, if you're not familiar with it, is this piece of machinery that just kind of acts like a plow as a tiller. And it grinds up the dirt so that the dirt can receive moisture again. You know, sometimes we have flash floods in the desert because the ground is so baked, so hard, that when all that water comes, it can't absorb into the ground and it just rushes down the arroyo. And a rototiller is one of those things that you can use in your garden or in farmland and grind up that soil. Today we're going to look at a rototiller that is for your heart because The passage that we're going to talk about today is a heart issue, and I hope you have your Bibles with you. I need you to turn to Mark chapter 4. We took a little break from Mark, uh, and we did a Christmas little series, and now we're in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, and I am going to read a few verses, and then we'll elaborate, and then we'll jump back into it. I'm reading now the English Standard Version today, and it reads this way, beginning at verse 1, again, that is Jesus, he began to teach beside the sea, or the Lake uh, of Galilee, and a very large crowd gathered around him, so they got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Verse 2, And he was teaching them many things in, what's that word, what does your version say? Parables. Jesus is teaching them in parables. Now let's just stop right there and kind of give you the scene. Jesus is going to sit down in a boat because that was a standard style of teaching. It would be really weird for us to do it today. This is western style teaching where you sit and I stand. In Jesus' day, he would sit... And you would all be standing. You want to try that? Oh, okay. And so he sits in a boat, and he rows a little farther out from the sea, I mean from the shoreline, and all the people are gathered around the seashore, and it creates this natural amphitheater. So his voice is being carried over the waters. And he teaches them in parables. Now the word parable means to cast alongside. Kind of a weird word but it takes something that people are very familiar with to apply it to a new teaching or a, a, an illustration and it's always a story and it's a made-up story but it's usually a familiar story so jesus is going to start teaching in parables and we're going to look at what his story comprises of let's start again at verse three listen jesus says Behold, a sower went out to sow, and, he's, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. Ah, uh, When the sun rose, it was scorched since it had no root, and it withered away. Verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Verse 8, And the other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And then Jesus says these words, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus is going to take an illustration of a farmer. Now, this is an agrarian society, so they are very familiar with a farmer. And remember, they don't have roads. They have fields, and if you want to get to your field, you had to cut across somebody else's field. And I don't know if you've ever seen a cow trail or a deer trail where the ground is like constantly walked on, so it, it packs it down. So here's the sower. And he has no modern equipment. He has a bag on his shoulder. He takes the seed and he just broadcasts it out that way. And some is going to fall on the path. And the birds are going to come by and pick it up. Other is going to fall among some soil that has some thorny seeds in it. He doesn't see the seeds because he's already tilled up the ground. But the seeds are there. And then he's also going to throw it on some areas that has some rocks. Where there's not... A real lot of nutrients, how many of you have rocky soil in your yard? Amen and amen and amen. I have so much rocky soil, and i 'm constantly trying to feed my trees because there's nothing there for them to eat or grab onto it's just rocky soil and then the last one is the good soil now I, I want you to to envision this guy he 's going out and he 's casting out seed, and Jesus said. Hey, this is. Let's go back to the text. He says, "A sower goes out to sow," and Jesus just leaves it out there like that. And there are some people out in the audience that are doing this. They're scratching their head. and They're like, "What's he talking about?" Ah, look what happens next. Let's get back to the text. Verse ten. And when he was alone, Jesus is done teaching. He's coming off of the lake. And those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. So he must have told more than one, and they're confused. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And let's just stop right there for, for a moment and talk about um, what we have seen so far. He's talking about these parables that if you try, and, and you know, you can be super smart and not under, understand because it's not about how smart you are. That's why I love about Jesus. When he teaches, you don't have to have a Harvard Ph.D., you can be the simplest person and understand spiritual issues because spiritual issues are a heart issue, not a brain issue. So Jesus gives these parables out that are really talking about the heart. And people are confused. They're trying to logically think with their brain. And Jesus is like, no, it's, it's a heart issue. See, if we really understood about the truth of God, all of us would be afraid of God and we would obey him all the time if we really, really, really understood how powerful, magnificent, and awesome God is, we would obey. Even Charles Manson wouldn't have done what he did. We, if we really understood the presence of God and he was here, we would then be motivated to do right out of fear instead of relationship. Because your brain tells you, I'm afraid of God, so I'm going to obey. How many of you obeyed your parents because you were afraid of getting in trouble? You understand then you were motivated to obey mom and dad out of fear, not out of the relationship. So if, if Jesus came and really explained everything to us, we would all say, okay, we're going we're gonna to get our ship in order and we're going to be doing things right. But we'd still be rebellious inside. So Jesus teaches parables that speak to the heart and not the brain. Because God wants a real relationship with you, not one that is based on fear. He wants a relationship that is based on love. It's like an Oreo cookie. You know, there's two parts to an Oreo cookie. There's the crunchy outside, right? And then there's that gooey, yummy part in the middle, Right? Two different things. A lot of times we're Oreo cookie Christians. We have an outward compliance, but inside our heart's not really right with God. And God says, I don't want that kind of relationship with you. I want one that is totally transparent. I want that one that is honest and one that is real. And so Jesus taught in parables so people wouldn't respond to God out of fear but out of love because it's a heart issue. Let me say it this way. God is not going to manipulate anybody through the fear of Him to get in a right relationship with Him. It'd be like a woman or a man that manipulates another person to marry them. Is that marriage really going to be good? Not if there's manipulation. I have heard of stories about a woman that comes to a man and says, I'm pregnant, and they say, okay, we're going to do the honorable thing, and they go get married. And then the woman says I was never pregnant. What happened? Manipulation. God doesn't want to manipulate anyone into the kingdom of God. He doesn't want to coerce anyone into the kingdom of God. He wants you to deal with the heart issue of do I love God or do I not love God? Do I want to be invited back into the garden and want to stay in the garden with God and have fellowship with him for the rest of my life or do I not? and then Jesus tells this parable and then he's going to go on and explain it look at verse 13 he says this do you not understand this parable how then will you understand all the parables the sower sows the word he's talking about the word of God he's talking about the gospel he's talking about the invitation to come and be with God again and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown and when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Very first fill in the blank. Three kind of hearts. First one is the hard heart. First of all, let me tell you this. And I want this to be really clear, okay? You are not born with a, one of the type of these hearts. God doesn't say well I'm going to give Lawrence a hard heart I'm going to give Eloise a rocky heart we're going to give Tammy a shallow rocky heart we're going to give Jada a great heart and we're going to give Heather a thorny heart God doesn't determine the kind of heart actually in the field that Jesus was to, all, the, all the soil was the same it was added to the, to the soil that's what was added to one heart rocks were added to another heart Thorns, thistles, goat heads were put in another heart. Another heart was kind of free of that. All the soil's the same, folks. You cannot say, well, you have a hard heart, you have a, a thorny heart, and you have a shallow heart. God says, no, I have given you a heart that is able to respond to me. I have given you a heart that you have been able to say, I want God. It's the things that are added to the soil that make it difficult to hear the gospel. And Jesus goes on and he says, a hard heart doesn't receive the good news. Why? Sometimes pride. Pride. Rich people are very hard to reach for the Lord. Do you know why? Can you guess? Because they can take care of all of their needs on their own. They don't, they don't have to go to God and say, God, I don't have enough money today to buy food for my family. Please provide for me. The rich says, eh, no problem. I'm self-sufficient. I have the ability to, to do it, on my own strength and on my own power, pride and self-sufficiently, self-sufficiency, are, are things that can make a heart hard. Ideas can make a heart hard. You're like,, well, what does that mean? How do ideas make a heart hard? Well? If you were taught that evolution is, is true and factual and, and all that, then you have to come to the logical conclusion that you're an accident, you have no purpose and no value in this life. After all, you're just an accident. It just happened randomly. It happened by chance. It happened by, So you really have no value. And if you have no value, then you know what? You have no value. And you have no value so i can do whatever i want to you how many of you have been horrified about what happened in chicago this week you know what i'm talking about it's like you know the judge said how could you be so indecent like where's your moral compass if you believe this idea then why not see ideas have consequences Second Corinthians four says this, let me I'll turn there. You can write the reference down if you want. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse four it says this: Talk about Satan, the bird that comes and snatches the seed away. In their case, that is, for someone who rejects God, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Basically, the world and its systems and its teachings and its ideas can actually harden your heart. And Jesus says, some of you are like that. Satan constantly uses pride to blind people to their sinful condition. Or that they really want and need a relationship with God. you're not that bad. Can you I shouldn't do this. Can you think of five people that are worse than you? How long did it take you? A nanosecond? Right? So, yeah, I'm better. Kind of stick your chest out a little. I'm better than this person. this was. I don't need God. They need God. I don't need God. I've got my act together. They need their act together. That is a prevalent idea in our culture that if you have your life together, you've got a decent marriage, you've got decent kids, you've got a decent job, that you somehow don't need God. That's a hard heart. Because when you hear the invitation of the gospel, you're like, Nah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Have you ever been to, to Sam's Club or Costco or, or someplace where they're demoing food and they ask you, do you want some? And... I always say, I'm good. I'm not the type that likes all the free snacks at, at the club stores. I'm just not that kind. I'm good. That's the same way when you try to offer Christ to some people, they say, I'm good. I mean, we're a brand new church. Your goal this year is to constantly be asking your friends, family, neighbors to come to church, come hear the good news about Jesus. And you're going to be rejected. You're going to have some that say, I'm good. I don't need church. That's a hard heart. Let's go on to the next heart. Verse 16 says this. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. That's where that, that shallow ground is. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves. And they endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. There are some people that will respond to the gospel out of self-centeredness. What do I get out of it, Jesus? I get heaven? Then I'm, sign me up. You promise me health, wealth, and, fu- and a great future? The prosperity gospel, sign me up because that's what I want. I want to be rich, I want to be famous, and I want everything to go my way, and I want no troubles or problems in my life. If that's what the gospel is, I want to join. And then you have people that join and they really don't understand what the word was saying. And the persecution comes. And they quickly dry up. And they blow away. Did you read the report this week in the news? For the second year in a row, actually there's more, Christians have been the most persecuted faith in the world. There were 90,000 people documented, not to say the undocumented, documented that they were murdered for Jesus. Picture this in your mind. It's hard to understand it. I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. If you take everybody out of Las Cruces, that's all the Christians that died last year because they were persecuted because they believe in Jesus. They believe in in a God of love. They believe... And because of their belief, they were persecuted. And because of persecution, they lost their life. The shallow person, the one that got into church because it meets my needs, I come to church because you offer the best this or you offer the best that. Wait, wait, that's called consumerism. That's called consumerism Christianity. When you shop for a church because what you get out of it, instead of saying, no, God has called me to this body because I'm a part of this body, I'm a part of this family, and suddenly when persecution arises, kind of does them in. I've heard it said this way. Persecution or tough times either makes you better or bitter. That's worth writing down. Persecution, tough times, makes you better or bitter, depending on whose strength you're doing it in. Second Timothy 3.12 says this, All who desire, doesn't say some, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You may be persecuted in the jail. You may be persecuted at school, standing up for Jesus. You may be persecuted in a government-type job. You may be persecuted in your neighborhood. You don't know why the neighbors no longer talk to you. Or do this when you drive by. This is the pulling back of the curtain in the window. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, okay, maybe you don't. Maybe that doesn't happen to you. A lot of people, when they find out I'm a preacher in my neighborhood, they really don't want to have anything to do with me because they're not sure about me. You know, the sun shines on the rocky soil and the good soil, and the sun grows one and burns the other. A shallow heart A rocky heart is an immature heart. The self is focused on their life. And can I share with you one of the hardest biblical principles to share with anyone, at least to teach and to train? It's not a surprise. It's others-orientedness that you have a preoccupation as Jesus does about the welfare of others that is the hardest concept to teach and implement in our lives because our sinful nature wants us to be on the center of our universe and Jesus says I want you to be others oriented try teaching that early to your children be others oriented rocky parts of a of this heart need to be broken up really needs that rototiller. let's go back let's look at one more heart verse 18 says this and others are sown among the thorns nettles sticky things they are those who hear the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful The worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, power of money, self-reliance, desire for other things, are thorns that will choke out victory and maturity. Um, You know what happens, don't you, when you have a weed next to a plant? Brock, Ian, do you know what happens? Both root systems go down, and they are fighting for the same water and they are fighting for the same nutrients and when we have thorns and thistles and go heads in our life and we don't do anything about it they're going to suck the energy away from your walk with Christ your mind's going to be preoccupied with those things and the pursuit of those things instead of being focused in on Jesus that's what happens to the thorns is it wrong to have a nice house no is it wrong to go on a vacation no is it wrong to have clothes that fit you and look nice on you no but when they become your idols and they become more than what they're supposed to suddenly they become thorns because they start draining away the nutrients and the moisture and all the other things that i I, have you ever seen a weed grow up and, and and quickly spread out its it's leafage so that the plant that you want to grow can't receive sunlight. Isn't it interesting how sports has become an idol in our country? Say amen to that. Turn to your neighbor and say amen. <laughs> there was a day when—this is years ago—but there was a day when when high schools didn't do practice on on Wednesday night, so families could go to church. Gone. There was a day when. You didn't have traveling teams that practice and had games on Sunday. Gone. Pretty soon, instead if you want to be in a sport, it's not a three month commitment, it's a twelve month commitment. Do you see how the thorns in your life try to suck out the energy from you so that you don't have anything left to give to the Lord? Well, let's let's look at the last heart. And it says this, pick up verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Now catch this out, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Now, to the hearers of Jesus, that was amazing. Because in their day, when you just go out and get a bag and throw your seed on the ground and kind of just rake it in, The yield on a crop was only 10 to 1. So Jesus comes along and says, Some of you will get a crop of 100 to 1, 10 times what they're even accustomed to thinking. The worldly heart is invited into the kingdom but continues to stuff the things of this world in them instead of Jesus. It's junk food. No nutritional value. Empty calories. And then Jesus comes along and says, But the good heart, the receptive heart, is sincere. It's a surrendered heart. It's a heart that's broken in its humility of its own sin. And it looks for Jesus for help. And then it bears fruit. You know what the the last... Soil is, is a self-examined life. You know what I'm doing in my yard? I'm trying to take the rocks away. And I'm trying to put good soil in so my trees have a chance of growing. And if those little goat heads start up, I get out my little hoe and I just start hoeing because I examine my yard to try to take care of the rocky soil, the weedy soil, and the soil that, that just is... Um, hard and and breaking it up so it can receive moisture, a receptive heart is a heart that examines itself. You have your own rototiller. Do you realize that you have your own rototiller for your own heart and you go through and you say do I have some rocks I need to deal with do I have some thorns that I need to deal with do I have some really hard areas of my heart that really need to be worked on some of you have anger issues and you get so angry and God is saying take a rototiller to that break up that anger give it over to him some of you have a vice because we all have a vice we just do We just always go to this for our comfort, or we go to this in our thinking, and God says, Let's get rid of that. And here's the good news when we start to respond to taking out the bad things in the soil, we start growing incredible fruit. That's good news. You're not locked into any of these soils, you get to choose what soil you want to be. I've heard it taught, well, no, you're going to be that soil. No, you can be the receptive soil. Isn't that exciting? 2017, if you believe, because it's come down to faith, you are going to be a different person than you are today at the end of the year. I'm excited about that. I'm excited that God isn't finished with me and he's not finished with you. And Jesus gives this parable and he says, you guys, you got some areas of your heart that need some work on. Let me help you become the man or woman that I want you to be. And yeah, you may have to pull out a weed or two and you have to pick up some heavy rocks that's going to be difficult. You might have to forgive somebody in your life that did you wrong a long time ago. But when you do, it breaks up that fallow ground and you can receive that moisture to grow. In a moment, we're going to receive communion. In a time that is very reflective. It's a time that's celebratory. I want you to think and ask the Lord don't ask me ask the Lord Lord my heart can you show me the weedy area and can you show me the hard heartedness that I have towards certain people And, and can you show me where I'm shallow and I need to grow up you know the first day that you laugh at yourself is the first day you start growing up did you know that? If you don't take yourself so seriously, then you can actually start growing up. And when we serve communion, it's the Lord's table, it's the Lord's supper, and those emblems, the bread and the juice. And He is saying, I love you. And your response back to Him has to be from the heart. It's not out of an Oreo cookie, it's not out of fear. It is out of a Father who is gentle to you and loves you and wants the best for you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this parable. And I thank you for the good news that we all can have receptive hearts. And Lord, thank you for pointing out the areas in our life that, that need your touch. And it's not that you're condemning us because your word says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But you want to change us. You want to grow us. You want us to be different. And we just want to say thank you. As we take the juice and we take the bread, may you speak to our hearts and may we speak to you. Help us to examine our lives so that you can have your way with us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.